Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I don't have time to believe. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and that's a real nasty habit you got there. <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... The Reagan Doctrine. And social polymorphism. Today, we'll be talking about Predator. In the next few weeks, we will be talking about the Predator prequel, Prey, which has been getting great reviews. Yes, yes. I'm somewhat surprised, but pleasantly so, because that's what we're going to be talking about. And Mm -hmm. it's good that it sounds good. And after that, we're doing John Scalzi's Kaiju Preservation Society, which you've already read Mm -hmm. and enjoyed. Yes. And then we're going on a For All Mankind spree. Yes, we need to catch up. We have been catching up, but like we need on the pod, we need to do both a season two arc and a season three arc. So we're doing two episodes on For All Mankind. And then I'm not going to say anything more after that because we reserve the right to change our minds. We do. In theory, we have planned out the next year's worth of podcast. We've got stuff until February, listeners. So like we are, we are so on top of shit. That's all I'm saying. If you have suggestions for us, the best way to communicate your suggestions is actually to become a patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, you become a patron at patreon.com slash space the nation. And the way that you get to talk to us as a patron mm-hmm. is to join our Discord. Yes. That's not the only thing you get. Dan, what else do you get? You get so many other things, Anna. Uh, you get access, early access to episodes, obviously. You also get uh, potential access to swag. And, of course, you can also access our monthly AMAs, which we do usually the first weekend of every month, although I think we're going to be adjusting that for the next two months. We are. We kind of do AMAs, we can just say monthly. <laughs> Anna and I have busy lives. There are things we've been doing, you know, and like, so it's it, it's not a guaranteed assertion that we're going to be free the first weekend of every month. So that's partly what's going on. Yes. And this time Dan's going to be on time. Too. Yes, yes. That was my fault last time. We're going to do a whole hour this time, I swear to God. Another good way to reach us is via Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can reach us uh, there. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anna Marie Cox. And if you want to support us, uh, but if already, and if you already are a patron, or if you want to support us but can't be a patron, please tell your friends and neighbors, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Dan. Yes, Anna. How are you? I am hot and not in a good way. It's been uh, not quite as brutal as I think the Pacific Northwest, but we've had a pretty serious hot spell here, married with an almost complete lack of rain, which is always disturbing. Also, we are sort of in the midst of transitioning from all of our children being here to none of our children being here. And so we have to pack things up and, you know, get them prepared emotionally and all of that. But, you know, these are exciting times because it's, you know, these are step forwards in terms of progression. And how are you, Anna? I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, you took a road trip this, this week, yes? I yes. did. I uh, did my first reporting trip in Ooh. a while. Wow. I can't remember the last time I did a reporting trip. Between, like, not really writing for... Between mainly doing the podcast mm-hmm. and COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I cannot remember the last time I went on a reporting trip. The last time you did, like, shoe leather reporting where, like, you actually, like, went on the ground... But in this case, where did, where did you go? You have got a visit. <laughs> I went to the Conservative Political Action Conference, Texas edition. It's now a franchise. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. 
I did not know that. So CPAC is like TED now, where like you can just like you know, there's multiple iterations of it. Okay. I mean, I think the only ones I know about are Texas, Florida, and Turkey. <laughs> sure. Okay. Budapest. Well, Budapest is Hungary, but yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think that, that they might call it CPAC Budapest. I don't know. Call it CPAC. Yeah. Yes, and you were in the room when Orban spoke, right? The the Prime Minister of Hungary. I was. He gave his speech in English. Oh. Which is impressive. Cosmopolitan, dare I say. Cosmopolitan, even. Yes, not very national. Stuff. No, no. But it was a little bit hard to understand, so maybe that counts as national. <laughs> I have to ask, is this like went viral on social media? Did you see the, I guess it was like performance art of like one of the January 6th rioters in a prison cell, like where they're playing January the 6th, the travails of those who have been tried for that? I was only there on Thursday, which is ah. technically the first day of the conference, but I think people usually get there on Friday. I see. Okay. And so the exhibitor hall that I went to was mo was only about like half full. Oh, well, okay. There. I mean, there were still plenty of exhibitors. There was gold people. Oh yeah, like gold bugs, like you know, you need to buy gold as a point. Right? Yeah. There were two competing moms for America. Right. Was, there was like a Patriot Moms and I think a Moms for America. I'm curious, you say there was gold, were there any crypto folks? You know, there must have been. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spend a ton of time in the in the exhibit hall. I did right. stop and talk to the log cabin Republican. <laughs> who were banned once yeah and now are back well progress so how's it going <laughs> and they said oh people are so nice they say you know people say that conservatives or that trump supporters don't like gay people but everyone's been very nice well there you go you know there's a difference between being nice <laughs> <laughs> like supporting you, right? <laughs> you know, Anna, politics is complicated. Yeah, it is. I could probably do a whole article on the psychology of the Black Hammer Republicans there. Well, I assume by the time our listeners hear this, that the your article or whatever will be out. So hopefully that'll be the I, case. Yeah, I did a quick. I did publish the the very same day. Oh God, I didn't even realize that. I apologize. I didn't read it. Oh Lord. Yeah, I I wrote about Orban's speech, and basically my argument was for which outlet? Sorry, I, I... Uh, New Republic. Okay, fair enough. Yes. And my take is sort of the title of his speech was "How We Fight," right? And sort of framed as like, what can we learn? Mm -hmm. You know, what can Americans learn from from Orban's uh, illiberal democracy? Get massive subsidies from the EU, I assume, is the answer, by the My way. Was, the basic advice was do what you're doing, but more so. Oh, fun. Okay. Be super unapologetic about what you're doing. Right. Like, don't be afraid to... Lard more anti-Semitism on your message. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. my prediction, mm -hmm. you know, predictions are bullshit, but I'll make a tiny one anyway, is that conservatives do start to adopt Western civilization. Yeah, that seems fair. Right. That sounds about right. It's sort of going beyond like we are a Christian nation and what the founders intended. Right. All the way back. Yep. Because Orban does that. Like he explicitly, like he mentioned, he compared migrants to Genghis Khan. <laughs> oh man, that's bad. That's just 
bad history. There were like 400,000 migrants massing at our border, which is only half as many as Genghis Khan needed to like conquer. Oh, for God's sakes. That's just stupid. All right. Uh. As many as Genghis Khan needed. Mm -hmm. Whatever. He was, you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And my favorite quote, though, though, mm -hmm. is, and this might have been a translation issue. Okay. It's a pretty ballsy thing to say. What do you say? Is no Christian politician can be racist. Wow, that is quite the statement. Yeah, there's... Literally, and they also think Christianity will keep us from going too far. <laughs> that was my response. Yes. Oh, oh, that is some bad history, Anna. They would like to have a word with you. That is some bad history and bad political science. Jewish people that would like to have a word with you. Yeah, there's so many people that are going to want to, you know, Jews have entered the chat. Muslims have entered the chat. Atheists have entered the chat. Brown people have entered the chat. Like, that's, oh, God, so bad. Dan did a meme. <laughs> anyway, that's probably enough about IR for now. Yes, let's let's get back to Predator. I think we should. Predator. We should and let's predator. talk about, we can be very brief about why we're doing yeah. it. You, you say. Well, I mean, you know, it's hot sci-fi summer, and I think that plus the release of Prey on Hulu, um, which is supposed to be a prequel to Predator, you know, just, th this is the perfect hot sci-fi summer movie. It's a 1980s movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, turns out to be, I think, better even than people expected it to be. It, it's, you know, it, it's the perfect thing. I would say it's a legitimately good I would say it's problematic in small ways, but yes, it, it's like, you know. It's just, uh, it has some obviously problematic. Right, right. But like, I'll leave this way. On the whole, I think it holds up. And actually, I think the other thing, which we'll talk about this, is that I think... More than fail the Bechdel test. Can you somehow, like... Yes, you need two female characters. Like, if you only have one female character, period, then you have, like, it, like you you failed the, the easy... You have yes. taken the, the... Like, the beginner's Bechdel test or something. Like, you can't even, like, pass beginner's uh, level on you that. You got your Bechdel test perfect. Right. But leave it this way. I, I do think that this movie... Like the way this movie is thought of and the way this movie actually is are two somewhat different things and we will we will talk about that as we go forward. Yeah. And now Chekhov's what's it then? What was your what was your thing that showed up in the first act and you thought you're gonna see that? Anna Chekhov was impaled by the predator. Um, in the sense of I was trying to see if there was something that like you saw in the first like act that then appears later and I didn't see anything, so I confess. I assumed that what happened was, was that anything that would have been there, the predator flayed and and, and ate or something. Dan. Yes, Anna? Chekhov's Long Tall Sally. Do we hear that song in the end? Yes, Dan. Uh, Max sings it. Max sings it? Oh. Okay, good. There's that scene where he sees the predator. Yeah. It looks illogical because he takes off all his gear, but I assume that was to be quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when he starts, well, that's something they do. We'll we'll talk about that, but yes. And yeah. also, he takes off his gear. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, was it to be unarmed? I, it, it's, it's yeah. It's a weird kind of scene, and there are yeah. some places in this movie where you're like, huh? Um, <laughs> but the movie manages to push through that, based on a lot on I think Schwarzenegger's charisma. Yeah, that carries a lot of the film. Although, also, this I, I mean this sincerely. Like, this is a movie with like a lot of 80s actors, like classic action actors, and they are all much better than I remembered. Um, so, like, props to them. But let's get to the story behind the story. Anna, 
did the makers of this film realize that they were establishing the IP version of an invasive species? Because we've had multiple iterations of predators since this original film came out. Yeah, it is an example of a IP that has jumped the IP tracks into another <laughs> IP, right? Mm. With the predator versus alien. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yes. Well, Dan, let me tell you a story. Oh, good. This movie has one of the best origin stories of any film they've done, and I'm including Rogue One, <laughs> two hour long retcon. Right. Right. So apparently after Rocky Four came out, there was kind of this <laughs> meme, pre-internet meme, which I guess you just say is a joke, <laughs> Yeah, going around Hollywood that the only person left for Rocky to fight was an alien. <laughs> ha ha ha. Screenwriting brothers John and Jim Thompson thought this was funny, and so they spent a weekend in Mexico. A Mexican writing binge? I, please tell me this was a Mexican, a Mexican writing, writing binge. binge yes. Writing what became Predator. Ooh. It was their first uh, script. It had a little bit of trouble getting noticed, but Joel Silver, <laughs> trash. And you can't have a hot sci-fi summer without Joel Silver's name being dropped. It's amazing he hasn't shown up already. Yeah. Recognized it as an opportunity to make truly great trash, mm -hmm. which it is. Yeah. And he optioned it, and he brought on Schwarzenegger. They had just made Commando together. Uh. Schwarzenegger loved the script, but... He had one problem with it. Mm -hmm. Quote, it bothered me in one way. It was just me and the alien. So we redid the whole thing so that it was a team of commandos, and then I liked the idea. You know what? Good note from Schwar Schwarzenegger. I, I agree. It's not a movie without the commandos. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be a much different movie with, like, no one else. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it'd be without dialogue, for one thing. Mm -hmm. And Schwarzenegger was also responsible for bringing on McTiernan. John McTiernan, the director. Yeah. We now know as being a auteur of flashy, violent movies. He had not made any Hollywood movies prior to this. He'd made one movie, kind of a small budget movie called Nomads, mm -hmm. uh, which was Pierce Brosnan's first film. Huh. I want to tell you the plot of Nomads. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. A French anthropologist in L.A stumbles on a street gang and realizes they're actually the Ian We Talk. Demon Inuit trickster spirits that take human form, commit acts of mischief, and who are attracted to places of violence and death. The Ian We Talk become aware of the anthropologist and so they claim his soul to keep their existence a secret. Okay, that's a little different from that's a little different from his, some of his later movies, Anna. I gotta say, it is. I think it sounds pretty great. It got incredibly mixed reviews, mostly negative. Some people really liked it. One of them was Schwarzenegger. So he, he, he... since it's set in L.A., I like. I would like to think that is part of the Die Hard universe. I think it's a good one. Yeah. Um, this is this is fun. Jean Claude Van Damme was originally cast as the Predator. Oh God. But Dan. Yes. JCVD is 5'9". He's the muscles from Brussels, but he's not the tallest individual in the world. That's true. And yeah. the rest of the cast is taller than that. So apparently it looked weird. <laughs> Visibly smaller. Yeah. So they went on and uh, replaced him with the 7'2 actor, Kevin Peter Hall, who had just finished uh, being a Sasquatch. <laughs> Harry and the Henderson. And then, so one of the great 80s actors in here is Paul Weathers. Yes. 
And the thing is, I mostly associate Carl Weathers with arrested development these days. Too much for you arrested, you know. He I, I've seen Carl. I, I saw the the seasons he where Carl Weathers plays himself. In it. Yeah. Yes. In what I had assumed was kind of a parody, like mm-hmm. he's super Google. That's actually one of the yeah funny things about that character, and also yeah. Bane. Right. My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you got the leftovers. You got adds water. You got soup. You got yourself a stew. Got yourself a stew. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Anyway, in an interview about the movie, Carl Weathers said he would act as if his physique was naturally given <laughs> and would work out only after the other actors were nowhere to be seen, <laughs> sometimes secretly waking up as early as 3 a.m. to work out before the day's shooting. <laughs> I think that does key on the insecure part, so yes. <laughs> yes. Although I will give Carl Weathers credit. Like, there was some TV show that came out in like the last three or four years that he played a prominent role. And I remember like seeing a trailer for it and seeing Carl Weathers like, that's Carl Weathers. No, that can't be Carl Weathers. Like it's been 40 years and he didn't look like, he looked like he'd maybe aged five. And it was like, I'm, that must be Carl Weathers kid or something. Carl Weathers has aged spectacularly well is all I'm saying, you know? And so it looks great. I mean, everyone looks at I me. Mean, they look oh, really yeah. great. Like yeah. this is, this is steroids. We're on the call sheet. Like, yes, <laughs> bunch of good look well except for one slightly oddball except for shane black weirdly who's in this film but who is in this film i was yeah. like i was like who is that who is that who is who is playing the 80s trope of the horny nerd <laughs> yes and it's it's shane black who then like was the screenwriter for lethal weapon so it's like perfect so in the ip of the flat circle category which we already <laughs> referred to there are predator movies comic book adaptations original novels Console games, arcade games, a board game, and Dan, there is a Predator pinball game. <laughs> that is not the most awesome thing. No. I think you can count this as IP. It is, it is the best thing. Okay. Not the movie. What is it? Connection to the movie. It is <laughs> a genus of spider. Oh. Predator Roo Nopes. Oh. Predator Roo Nopes. Interesting. Okay. It is a genus of goblin spiders, which I did not look <laughs> up more about goblin spiders because I don't want to know because I have to think about spiders. But just yeah. the idea of a goblin spider, that's great. They're mm-hmm. uh, native to the Brazilian planet forest. Okay. Uh, they were discovered by scientists in 2012. Hmm. It is characterized by extremely modified male, I'm going to try and say this, Dan, Shellacray? I don't even know how to pronounce that word. I'm going to say chelicere, but like, yeah. Ventral spines. And what that means, Dan, is that the face looks like the predator guy. So basically, these spiders are ugly motherfuckers, is what you're saying. They are ugly motherfuckers. And yeah. I love this as, a, as the dedication. When scientists find a good inside joke. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good that way. And there are the various species, mm-hmm. predator nopes, mm-hmm. terunopes are named after the characters in the franchise, including Predator Nopes Dylan mm-hmm. and Predator Nopes Schwarzeneggeri. Okay, I'm going to protest here, though, because it should be Predator, Predator Nopes Dutch, is all I'm saying. I, that's why I said it's named after casting characters. I think they just like the idea of, of using the word Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger, I, I, I get that. Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. So I want to just do one more thing before we get into the actual plot of the movie, which... Mm-hmm. Shouldn't take us long. No, it's it's a pretty simple plot as these things go. Yeah. Um, what was your viewing experience of this movie? So originally, I think this was one of those films that like I saw on HBO, 
like when it went to cable because I don't remember I did not see this movie in the theater, and I remember like this was like one like in some ways like it, it, for the longest time I think I got Commando and Predator confused in that like they were just one word Schwarzenegger movies and I didn't really think about you know much of a distinction between them and it's only I think when I saw it on cable that oh this is different. Um, you know, and also the, I like the cast, so that was how I watched it. And to watch it again, I watched it on Amazon Prime because it is available for free for those who subscribe to Prime. And I watched this movie for the first time. You had never seen this before, Anna? I'd oh my god! It. I oh. think it is because yes, listeners may know because I've, I've mentioned this before. As much as I love horror and sci-fi. I can't deal with gore. And this is a bit of a... There are some gory scenes. Well, here. I thought it was much more gory than it is. Like, no. Actually, they, yeah. It's so fake-looking. Some of the gore stuff. That's part of it, yes. Yeah. And it's also... It's not, like, body horror gore. No. It's just, like, exploded human gore. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I, can, I can... Maybe I couldn't have handled it then. But anyway, and I think I just thought it was... In as violent as this movie is, believe it or not, I think I thought it was even more violent. <laughs> somehow and it's not i mean the, the the violence is of a weird sort like it is 1980s movie violence and in fact it, it's so 1980s movies violence that there's actually like one scene that is a meta commentary on which we'll get to in the in the plot recap the violence i the word i kept coming back to in my notes when i was trying to describe the violence it's shot lovingly it's <laughs> a good way of putting it yes <laughs> it's yes. like it is a movie that appreciates its own violence yeah well, also, I mean, McTiernan is a good director. And so, like, you know, there are ways in which this could have been an incredibly schlocky movie. But it's actually, I would argue, a good, good movie. It's not a good, bad movie. It's a good, good movie. Yeah, yeah I have to add before we get into the plot, by the way. Yes. It's something I discovered uh, in my research. McTiernan is currently bankrupt. Oh, no. And uh, I think his prospects are not good. I think he might have died or something. Because he served a year in prison. Oh, Jesus. For what? For uh, federal wiretapping. Yeah. And the reason he hired someone to do wiretapping, well, he hired, this is the first kind of funny thing, he hired Anthony Pelicano, whose name you might have heard before. He was a fixer to the stars. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So he hired Anthony Pelicano to wiretap the phones of his producer because (laughs) they disagreed about a movie McTiernan was making. Okay. About the artistic direction, which is dedication. Yeah. I, it, that is one word to use for that, yes. In that movie, Dan. Yeah. With Rollerball. <laughs> well, that was 20 years ago. Jesus Christ. He wow. He went to prison over the artistic direction of Rollerball. <sighs> wow. Okay. That is... Dedication of one kind or another. 2014. I actually, it's kind of it's sad. Like, that, yeah. I believe that is overzealous prosecution. Yes, that, that I think that's the same thing. Yeah, and uh, I don't think he has any movie prospects. It's it's sad. It's sad. Yep. On that note, <laughs> let's start with his the, the, the highlights of his career. Let's yeah, let's get to his first big movie. Uh, People actually, you know, he's getting up there, but. Martin Scorsese still making movies, damn it. Someone mm-hmm. put John McTiernan in a movie. I have faith that John McTiernan can make I think he's got one more good action movie in it. Yeah, let's get the old gang back together. <laughs> there you go. It's an idea. 
All right. All right. Let's start with Act One, best handshake ever. Welcome to Central America, where the governments are unstable, but the mercs are top choice. Our man Dutch flies in with his five-man mercenary rescue team, Mac, Blaine, Billy, Poncho, and Hawkins, to a U.S. base somewhere in an unnamed country. He meets up with his old friend Dylan, now working for the CIA, and boy, do they have a handshake for the ages. This is the handshake that is memed all across social this media. Is the for this. white arm, black arm. Yes, exactly. We are one. Right. It really is like the like you see that like it, it is as awesome that that was the handshake and I was like oh that's the handshake I was wondering if you I was gonna ask if you knew that like the, the, it's as awesome a handshake in in the film as you would expect it to be so it's really good it's like they knew it's gonna be a meme it's like yeah. it is a very meaningful handshake in yes. the movie it's really good yeah. Uh, Dylan tells Dutch that his mission is to rescue a cabinet minister and his entourage who crashed in a chopper just across the border and might be held captive by rebels. Dylan will be coming along and will be in command. Uh, helicopters land the team. En route to the rebel base, they find the helicopter wrecked in the trees. The pilots are dead, and the crash chopper looks way too sophisticated for a local politico. Billy then sees three men flayed, disemboweled, and hung. Dutch recognizes the dog tags as being from Green Berets from the U.S., and one of them is Dutch's old pal Jim Hopper. This seems pretty suspicious. So, Anna, let's just talk about the cast. Uh, yeah, as I said, this film cannot pass the even rudimentary version of the Bechdel it test. It can't even take the Bechdel. Yeah, because there is literally only one woman in the cast. And yet, between Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Landham, and Bill Duke, this might be like the most 1980s you know, action movie cast ever. It, it's actually like The Expendables. The most 80s. Right, the most 80s. It's The Expendables, but everyone is actually like... A, 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 the appropriate age. But it's it's not getting the old gang back together. Yes. It's the gang as it was. Yes, they're like the gang at the it's peak of four. It's not one last heist. It's the first heist. It's the first heist. Or I would say it's peak heist. It's like, you know, they've seen some shit, but like they still can move around reasonably well. Like, you know. One of the reasons the movie succeeds, despite some problematic things, Yeah, is that that ragtag group of mercenaries and it's like it is just a cut and paste like group mm -hmm. of people right is actually pretty compelling yeah also managed to like even though like <laughs> shane black's character is loathsome oh yeah he's horrible yes yes <laughs> he's the one that i which would die first i think he might die first does he die first uh he does in fact die first yes, yes. so good yes. good riddance yes yeah but even he, like, it's a unit. You believe they're a unit. Mm -hmm. They've got enough charisma between them. You're on their side. It works. Also, again, good screenwriting. Like, they're, we, we meet most of them on the helicopter ride to, you know, the, the mission. And really, it's like maybe five minutes of screen time. But, like, you do get a sense of who these characters are in those five minutes. It's, it's, it's yeah. Super cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. Right. And... I was there for it. There you go. Like, yes. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. Let's get out in the field, guys. All right. Let's get to Act 2, when bad things happen to bad rebels. The unit finds the rebel camp and sees that there are Russian advisors there. They assault the camp and eliminate most of the rebels in short order, using the appropriate amount of ammunition and catchphrases. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you like that, Lana. Dan, Dan is being facetious. <laughs> uh, there is way way too much shooting 
Also too many catchphrases, actually. One too many, which is too many. We'll be talking about that, yes. Uh, except there is no cabinet minister to rescue. Oh my god, Anna, I can't believe it. The CIA lied to Dutch. The CIA lied it, to someone. Yes. It turns out that the hostages held at the camp were Dylan's CIA men, and that Dylan then sent Hopper's team in after them in a failed rescue. Dylan cooked up the cabinet minister cover story so Dutch would agree to take the mission. The rest of the rebels are closing in on their position, so Dylan grabs all the intel he can, as well as Anna, the sole rebel survivor. They know they need to hop across the border, but, and here we get to the sci-fi twist, there is a predator tracking them. Billy can sense something is wrong, but can't put his finger on why. So, Anna, let's talk about the attack on the base, and I had two thoughts. First, to be perfectly honest... Carl Weathers seemed like the only actor who was actually capable of moving fast enough not to get shot. The rest of them seemed like there was too many steroids. Like, they were, like, moving, like, without, like, you know, not in a sort of seamless way. Um, second, I think we've stumbled across an iron law of catchphrases. We've talked about this before. There are a couple of catchphrases that Schwarzenegger gives, like, stick around, I think, or what have you, that are, like, obviously set up as catchphrases. You know, like, you, you see them and, like, they're shot in such a way, like, hey, catchphrase right here. Right, exactly. And it's interesting to compare and contrast those, none of which really have any staying power. With Ventura's I Ain't Got Time to Bleed, which is a great line, and he says very nonchalantly. And it, like, works as a result of that. I think the iron law of catchphrases is that a good catchphrase, there could only be one, but also it, <laughs> it, it has to emerge organically. Yes, basically. <laughs> what say you? I agree. When it comes to catchphrases, there can only be one. There we go. It is th that battle scene follows the dictum of repeat until funny. Yes. You know? <laughs> like it just goes on for so long and so many people die except for mm -hmm. the good guys. Mm -hmm. Like it, it follows also the other, you know, uh, honored trope of the heroes all are excellent shots. Yes. And the villains can't hit a broadside of a barn. Except well, they've got Russian advisors on it. They can't be that good. I mean, you know, let's be honest here. Um, and it is just, it goes on, it goes on long enough that there are three catchphrases. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a three catchphrase long fight. Absolutely <laughs> true. measure the length of a, yes. of a firefight. Many... Right. It's like Scaramucci's. They're like three catchphrases. It's three catchphrases in length. I kind of, Again, repeat until funny, repeat until even the person who doesn't love firefight scenes was kind of like, you know what? This is, <laughs> this is part of the good, bad, good. So we should talk about whether this is a good, bad movie or a good, good movie. I think right. it's kind of a good, bad scene. Like, let me put it this way. Courage is on actually being good, but some of the problematic stuff makes it hard for me to like really. That's fair, but I guess the way I would put it is this is much better than Highlander as a film. Oh, it is. Oh, my God. It, it is. This is like. It's a much tighter plot, obviously, and, like, I grant, as I said, like, even I'm, like, looking at this firefight, like, wait, why is he, like, doing it like a rock'em sock'em robot? Like, you know, like, so there are, there are some parts that are not perfect, but the flaws in this film are far fewer than in, in the, and, and I guess it's a smarter film than Highlander. It's greater we'll, than the sum of its flaws. Right. And also, like, in some ways, the rebel encampment is, like, it's the worst part of the film. Like from here on in, the film gets It's a total makeup. Yeah, it, it just it just gets better as the film goes along, I think is the other thing. I don't know. I, I still feel like it's almost a good good movie, but not just not quite. 
No, it's not perfect. It, I agree with you. Like, let me put it this way. When, when, but yeah, it but. is economical, which is one of the things that makes something a good movie. And you, yes. you just said that. And I will point out, I counted, we get our first real glimpse of the Predator an hour and eight minutes into this movie. Yes. Yeah. 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 And we mostly don't see it. Right. Which is genius. It's genius. And also... Oh, it is so smart. And yet it's still scary. Right. No. It's out there. And the other thing I would add is that, and again, credit to the, the special effects team, it's it's one of these things where simultaneously less is more, but then when you actually see the Predator, it's not a disappointment. Right. When you actually get a full shot, it the Predator lives up to the hype. And so props And on Winston that. Joint, too. Yes, not exactly. I, 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 yeah. I've stopped commenting on when we have Sam Winston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the creatures in the movies that we do seem to be Sam, right. Sam, Stan Winston. Fair enough. And I, I appreciate how economical the movie is. <laughs> Except in the firefight, um, yeah. And I and and I, yeah. I'll say more about the first hour. In the right. No. Fair enough. And let me put it this way: like even um, Hawkins. Like I, I have to admit, I I was with you on this. Where like I like in the helicopter where he tells that incredibly sexist joke and Billy doesn't laugh. And I was like, oh, I didn't remember that. Good. He doesn't laugh. This is great. And then he laughs at the second. One. I was like, God damn it! If he hadn't laughed at the second one, it would have been. So better. and then there's Billy, who's the amorphously indigenous person. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> All right, let's get to Act 3. I've been in some badass bush before. So, while in the bush trying to cross the border... <laughs> Just thinking about Hawkins' jokes. <laughs> what? Yes, exactly. I couldn't resist that. I'm sorry. <laughs> while in the bush trying to cross the border, Anna makes a run for it. Hawkins catches up with her, but then the Predator, who is close to Invisible, grabs him and flays him, leaving Anna in shock. While looking for Hawkins, Blaine gets it next, being shot by some sci-fi Predator weapon. Max sees the Predator distortion and fires at it. Then everyone joins in the firing, and a tremendous amount of ammunition is expended in the next 30 seconds. No catchphrases. No catchphrases. This is the, and to be clear, this is actually the scene where I, I really liked, because it's clearly McTiernan commenting on the fact of, it's like supposed to be over the top, and it actually makes them all look stupid. This is the sort of scene that separates this from like a Highlander film, is what I would say. I would say it, it, it's, I see that it can be commentary, but yeah. also it is an, believe it or not, economical way of right. showing how frightened they are. Exactly. Yes. It's a perfect show, not tell thing of like, these are supposed to be hardened mercs, and yet they are all just firing blindly into the bush and not and in the end not hitting anything but anyway like i'd forgotten about that scene and I, it's a smart scene and it, it it accomplishes a lot with with just a little anyway mac is too stunned to say initially what's happening dylan requests extraction but it's denied because it turns out he's as expendable as dutch mac finally recounts what he saw saying there's something out there waiting for us and it ain't no man it turns out anna speaks english and she tells them it was bleeding after mac shot it Dutch frees Anna as they both recognize who the bigger enemy is. Dutch decides they will make their stand here and set traps for the Predator, and Mac shaves while they wait. <laughs> I did love that scene where he's, like, for just some reason just shaving and See, That's breaks. one of the scenes where it's maybe not so economical. Like, I liked it. That was just a nice little touch. I'm sorry. I did wonder. That it, okay. It was funny enough that I could yeah. let it go. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. The Predator gets caught in one of the traps and fires his weapon wildly, wounding Poncho. As the Predator escapes, Dylan sees it decloak. Mac chases after it, and Dylan chases after Mac, telling Dutch to take everyone else and head for the chopper. 
Mac and Dylan try to outflank the Predator, but the alien blows Mac's head off. Dylan sees it and fires, but the alien fires a laser and severs his arm and then guts him. On a part of the reason that this film works is that the FX aren't that big of a deal. It's really more how everyone reacts to the big bad that makes it so effective. And, like, this, this is not just the actors, but also the director. Like, McTiernan's pan upwards to reveal Hawkins' body really worked, actually. I thought it was it's just an effective shot. And this is not a film that I had previously thought of as having really good acting. But for what they're supposed to do, particularly Sonny Landon, who plays Billy and Duke, are actually really good at being spooked, which is not something you would have expect of 1980s action heroes. But they sell it. Like, Billy is freaked the fuck out. And it worked for me. He's very good. Yeah. The, what did I say? I said amorphously indigenous, but like unspecified indigenous might be yeah. maybe a better way to put it. He, he is good. In the trope, he doesn't right. talk much. <laughs> no, but that's entirely fair. Like, he's the tracker. Like, it, it makes sense that he's simultaneously worried or like freaked out, but it, he doesn't know why. And so it works. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of them do a great job yeah. being scared. Yeah. And I, here is something interesting. I hadn't thought about this before, but I wonder if it's effective because they intentionally cast so many muscly dudes. Yeah. It's true. It's, these are people... It reads more acutely. I, I think that's true. And also, in some ways, that's where the attack on the rebel camp works. I mean, you're right that it goes on for a long time and it's not great. But in some ways, what it does in terms of plot is that it sets up the idea that these guys are badasses. And yet, so as a result, when they're freaked out dealing with the Predator, that sells the, the fear even more, I think. And it doesn't, when you're a, as big as those dudes are, yeah. they all are to a man, like six foot something or other. Oh, yeah. These are all, well, Schwarzenegger's actually not that tall, but like the rest of them are tall. Yeah. But they're all huge. Yeah. They're all, they're all muscly. They've all taken their roles. Yeah. So it doesn't take much to do just a few subtle signs of fear. And I guess we're going to credit McTiernan here again because yeah. I bet he pulled them back. Yeah. Like, don't overact here. Just because I was actually, as a jokey way, I said most of this is the eyebrow school of acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> most of the reactions are in the eye area yeah yeah there's very little expression but right eyebrows go up which i can't do because i throw times <laughs> <laughs> eyebrows go up or brows furrow yeah you know like they they have a frightened look on their face or right are confused but it's good that works that works that works because yes they're huge people who are apparently uh not afraid of anything still. but they're scared of this and that's an unnerving thing for the viewer yeah all right, let's close with the last act, A Most Dangerous Predator. Billy decides to stay behind and fight the Predator by cutting himself? I don't know. That made no sense. I didn't like that. That was a bad part of the film, and it ends badly for him, Anna. The Predator then catches up to Dutch and Poncho, killing the latter and wounding Dutch. He tells Anna to head for the chopper, and while he runs in a different direction... Dutch slips and falls over a cliff into a river. He crawls out onto the muddy embankment pursued by the Predator. Because Dutch is covered in mud, the Predator can't see him, and Dutch therefore realizes that the Predator can only see infrared. Dutch starts laying some traps, makes a bow and arrow, and then makes some noise and invites the Predator to party. Dutch fires an explosive arrow at the Predator, who does not take kindly to it. He fires back indiscriminately, wounding Dutch. There's more sparring, but then Dutch gets in the water, losing his mud camouflage. The Predator pins him and then unmasks himself, revealing one ugly motherfucker. Dutch tries to lure him into one of his traps, keeps saying, come on, kill me, kill me, kill me. But the Predator senses a problem and goes around the trap. 
But when the Predator stands right under the counterweight, Dutch triggers the trap, crushing him. The Predator, mortally wounded, triggers a self-destruct mechanism and then laughs like Jabba the Hutt. Dutch barely escapes the mushroom cloud explosion, but he does escape. And then the chopper picks him up, as well as Ayana. The final shot of the film is an exhausted, muddy Dutch secure in the knowledge that he has kept Central America free of rebels and aliens. The last act of this film is almost wordless and pretty goddamn primal. I mean, one of the, the sort of macro themes of the film is that all the high-tech weaponry isn't going to help you. It's all discarded. It's just primitive weapons of bow and arrow. And I think that is one of the reasons why the film works. The Predator's weapons stay high-tech, but I guess that's not... You can still make the argument about primitive weapons. Right. Your opponent's still using. And I guess but, he does win. And he does, yeah, exactly. The yeah. counterweight wins. Yeah. I did lose myself a little bit of the fact. Mm-hmm. I had a temptation to check my phone. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But I think this is the part where... It does rely a lot on on ingenuity and mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger's charisma, which we don't usually, I think, think of him as someone who's very charismatic as an actor. No, and we we did the Terminator, and he's not charismatic in there. I mean, that's he was acting in a way appropriate to the role, but he is charismatic here. Yeah, he is. You you want to watch him? Yeah, care about him? He's demonstrated to be he's a he's a mercenary with a heart of gold. Right. <laughs> I thought the most interesting thing here was when he chooses not to bash the Predator's head in. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this moment of, like, mutual respect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And having not seen the movie, I was like, well, this could take an interesting turn. <laughs> like, that's why there's sequels. Right. Nope. No, no. <laughs> but I do yeah. think that's what is happening in the script. Is that he has a moment of like, oh, this is it's a it's an Ender's game, right? It's game recognizing game, as it were. Yeah, and, and yeah. also like this is a this is a being, like this yeah. is not just like a machine that I'm out to kill. This right, is, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. This is a, a living thing, right? I would agree. I I would say two other things about this. First of all, again, this is more about Schwarzenegger's physicality than anything else. There is something visually arresting about seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, covered in mud. It actually, it, I mean, it's it's a compelling visual image. There's no other way to you know to put it. The other thing that Dutch does in just before this, which is interesting, is that he yells at Anna not to use the gun because the predator is attracted to guns, and that was that displays actually an intelligence on his part that you wouldn't again necessarily have associated with that character, but it works as a result. And I, I remember another thing from my research uh, to to put in here, which is mm-hmm. that. A- Apparently, it was winter when they were filming this, and it can get cold oh. in jungles. Wow. When it's sort of rainy season and there's not a lot of sun, it just mm. gets chill, it becomes chilly. Uh-huh. Apparently, they had heat lamps and were freezing all the time anyway, and that mud was really cold. Oh, I can believe it. And so Schwarzenegger's discomfort is very real. Yeah, fair enough. And that worked. No, that that works for the performance. Absolutely. Although I do feel for wherever the actress is who played Anna, because like she weighs about ninety five pounds and has no body fat. And so, I guess yeah. I should also say that we should feel for the body double because there's some real obvious places where they don't mm-hmm. show Schwarzenegger's like top third. Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think, but knowing that it was cold and, and bad and everyone was miserable apparently on the set. 
except for Carl Weathers, I imagine. <laughs> Carl Weathers is—he's a professional. He is comfortable in every role. That's—that's that's my belief on this. But moving on. Yes. Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this movie? Anna, there's something out there waiting for us, and it ain't no man. It's some international relations discourse. So there is, much like this film, there is some solid meat and potatoes IR, and it divides neatly into three parts. Part one is the rules of covert action. All right, remember, the, the, the MacGuffin in this film is that they are using private contractors to try to get out a covert action team uh, because that's really super awkward for you know the U.S. foreign policy in, in Central America. It is unsurprising that if a covert action team is caught across the wrong border, the CIA would try to extract them, but use a means that allows for plausible deniability. So totally tracks that that was actually relatively believable. Part two, the role of private contractors in irregular warfare. And here, in some ways, Predator was actually ahead of its time. Because the explosion of private military contractors really starts first with the Clinton administration because they sort of Al Gore's reinventing government initiative, among other things, came up with the idea of outsourcing more activities as opposed to having full-time government employees. And private military contractors certainly counts there. And then it obviously escalated as the second Gulf War was proceeding, and this is the, the origins of Blackwater and other sort of private military contractors, even the Wagner group uh, that Russia employs. Dutch was definitely one of the more moral mercs you will see, you know, in that sense, it, it, that was the sort of most fictional element of this, of this film. And then finally, there was just simple realpolitik, which is once Anna the Rebel realized that there was a bigger threat out there in the bush than the mercs who were holding her, she immediately, she like quickly decides, oh no, I am going to balance with the Mercs as opposed to this thing that is just indiscriminately killing. And Dutch, to his credit, recognizes this, frees Anna, and, you know, treats Anna as a contributing member of the group as opposed to someone who has to be held hostage. So classic balance of power politics. If you see a bigger threat out there, all the humans band uh, to fight it. So, yeah, it's it's nothing flashy, but all of this, you know, makes sense as, as sort of IR theory. It is as simple as the plot itself. Exactly. It's... It- is an economical use of international. Yes. So, Anna. Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan. <laughs> American imperialism is out there. <laughs> it's killing us one of <laughs> So, I think one of the funniest things about this film is that it is, for the first hour, an hour, mm-hmm. basically an Oliver Stone movie. <laughs> a pretty good oliver stone movie okay yeah yeah all commentary on american imperialism basically and it's a pretty cynical commentary about american imperialism One. yes now it is weird that the blackwater guys are apparently more moral than the cia although it doesn't take much right and also bear in mind this is pre-blackwater when this is being filmed so that's it's the, yeah. these, again mercenaries of the article Dutch's team has standards mm-hmm. now this does suggest, and I hate to admit this, Dan, <laughs> that capitalist forces can create better incentives for good moral judgment than purely nationalist ones. It's an interesting possibility there, Anna. Props to you for acknowledging this. As far as critiques go, mm-hmm. the real imperial power here is the alien! <laughs> 
And I think we can agree mm -hmm. that the predator is a product of some version of late capitalism, <laughs> a member of the upper class on his planet who can afford to leave his rent paying holdings, mm -hmm. not have to work, mm -hmm. and engage in Veblen S. Is it Veblen? Yeah. Veblen, I think. Veblen, yeah. Thorstein Veblen, yeah. And engage in Veblen esque conspicuous leisure. Oh, damn. You just dropped Theory of the Leisure class, Anna. Damn. Damn. Okay. Wow. Because my somewhat rusty memory mm -hmm. of all that UFC learning, I remembered he mentions hunting and sports. Yep. As one of the most conspicuous consumption y. Mm -hmm. activities of the upper class and i could read a quote here that i found but i will just tell you <laughs> not one of the, the snappier <laughs> of your social theory writers actually you know what i'm not sorry i'm not, I, the quote is funny because it mentions predators so oh fair enough okay yeah i think it's a long one though hmm. sports hunting angling athletic games and the like afford exercise and dexterity and the emulative ferocity and astuteness characteristic of predatory life. Ooh. That's right. There you go. He goes on. It's the exercise of the, the sort of playing out capitalism as a game. Hmm. Right? Like just being on top of everything. Now, I will confess mm -hmm. the fact that the predator blows himself up at the end. I really worked to try and make that an aspect of late capitalism. <laughs> I, I don't think it works. Couldn't quite do it. I do think that he is probably a member of the leisure class on his planet. Possible. I, now, I've got to say, I'm a little surprised here, Anna. I was legit expecting you to at least focus on Dylan at one point, just yelling at Dutch, which, by the way, actually makes no sense and was not a great thing in the film. But, like, you know, Dutch is outraged that he's basically been hoodwinked. And Dylan tells him, that's because you're an asset, an expendable asset. Like, that was... I, I actually think I had my notes. I cued in on that. Thank you, Dan. Yes. It's true. Like, well, it sort of fits the general... That is actually what the Predator is there for, too. Right. right? So they're yes. expendable assets. And there is a nice turnaround when... They are actually just yeah. entertainment for the Predator. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I remember reading some... There is, I confess, I got a little bit of that idea from a write-up of the movie that goes through and names all the Predators and with their day job back on their planet. <laughs> like, Gregory, an IT consultant, comes to Earth. <laughs> that's true. Like, you don't know. I mean, I, I do like your leisure class theory, and I have to admit that's probably correct. But there is a small part of me that wonders, like, Maybe this guy was like, you know, like a grunt level coder. This was the one vacation he'd been saving up he'd for. He'd been saving up for this he, like, you vacation. Like, you know, like he's a loner. He's by himself, Anna. I mean, like, you know, this would normally be a thing you'd bring a date on. But no, no, he's got to go by himself. I think he's Elon Musk. There we go. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's what, you know what we need? We really need the film told from the, pre like, the real prequel, Anna, is not like, you know, previous predators who have come to Earth, but rather, what was this predator's backstory back on whatever planet? Especially if it is actually, like, the grunt-level guy who saved up for this. That and would be funny. Kind of Rosencrantz and Gilderstern. This does have, like, an Adult Swim feel to it, I have to say. Yes. Fair enough. Oh, oh. wait! Oh. <laughs> it's usual that stuff that's banging on us. Oh, God! I can't even see the stuff banging on us! And it's through the brief field. Yeah. Where we talk about stuff we haven't talked about yet, mm -hmm. 
there's always something. Dan, what what do you have that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, a couple things. First of all, I have not seen Prey yet. We're going to be talking about that next week. But I will say there's a brief, like I think the longest piece of dialogue that Anna has in this film, she recounts how the Predator would hunt, but only when it was really kind of hot where it was, which does kind of contradict the trailer that we've seen. So I'm just, I'm wondering how that gets reconciled in the greater Predator canon. I am still somewhat disappointed in Billy's death. This was a bad part of this film. Yeah. Like, Billy clearly knows there's something out there. By this point, he realizes there's a Predator. And his solution to this is to take all of his gear off and go shirtless, which, okay, I can sort of see that because Mac did it as well. But, like, cutting himself with the knife, I didn't quite get that. It just seemed like that was ridiculous over the top 80s as opposed to what most of the rest of this film has been like. The end credits are a little weird, Anna. Right after the movie ends, they then go through the cast. And the cast is it's like these live shots of the cast. And it, it, th- here's the best way I would, I would summarize them. There's a shot of, like, Carl Weathers as Dylan. Someone throws him, like, a small Mac-10 rifle, you know, gun. He, like, grabs it, looks at the camera, and smiles. It's a weird thing. Like it, it, it's like it, an 80s sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Sort of trope. But- right. Yeah. And the last thing I will say, and again, I, watching this again, what I'm struck by is how many 1980s movies are thought of now in ways that are slightly at odds with how they actually were portrayed, you know, were, were done in the beginning. So this film is a lot like First Blood, which is the first Rambo film, or Die Hard, which McTiernan made after this, I believe, in that you think of them now as like, oh, these, these muscle-bound, you know, oafs engaging in cartoonish violence. And that's not actually the case. This movie ends, I love the last shot of this film, where you see Dutch, like, clearly exhausted and spent and, like, barely alive in the helicopter. And it's a good shot because it reminds you how close he came to dying. And just as this film, I think, actually, in some ways, makes fun of the idea that, oh, you can just shoot your way out of any problem. Similarly, with First Blood, that movie ends with Sylvester Stallone almost in tears. And Die Hard works because... Bruce Willis plays John McClane as a human being, not as someone who is, in fact, you know, like a superhero. In some the way. sequels in which he turns into an action hero. It's correct. And same with the Rambo sequels, I would add. So I think part of what people think about in these uh, about these movies is that they're not actually thinking about these movies. They're thinking about the sequels or the meme versions of them. But actually, the movies themselves are legitimately good and more subtle than you would have realized. I've been rewatching the Avengers, you know, arc. Yes, Although they are all superheroes, right? right. I mean, yeah. I guess Black Widow, I think, is basically human. She just is... Right, and same with Hawkeye, I guess, yeah. yeah. But all of the movies where they have human interests are mm-hmm. the best ones. Yeah. Right? Like, I think Civil War might be my... Well, I mean, Endgame and, and Infinity War are great, like, experiences. Right. But... The very, like, the acting of Chris Evans and uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War when they're, like, mad at each like, they're, yeah. they're, yes, there's a philosophical argument, but they're also mad at each other. Right, there's actually human impulse, like, um, um, human emotions involved, yes. Yeah, and I think that's what makes a good superhero movie. Right. Ironically. <laughs> and it works for 19, I think that, I think... This is the, the thing, one of the things we realized, I think, also for 80s hot sci-fi summer, which is yeah. the movies that work, work because... The, char- the characters are actually human and furthermore express human emotions like fear. All right, so my debris field stuff. So at one point in the movie, 
<laughs> the creature performs battlefield surgery on itself. Yeah. And for some reason, I found that very funny. Like, I don't know why it's funny, but it just is. Totally fair. Yeah. Maybe because it's actually, it's, so, it's not economical, really. It's just showing the creature manipulating things. It's, it's just, I, I kind of love it, though. Maybe what it is that I love about it is it's the good, bad movie and good, good movie. Like, someone's paying attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone thought about this. But that would be a good scene for the reverse perspective. Yes, exactly. The creature vision actually is kind of bad. I don't know if you noticed that, but like it, it, it is not infrared vision is not actually what you want to have necessarily. Yes. Well, it, it, especially given how the movie ends. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just it's just a note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally fair. Just a note in case they wanted some years <laughs> later. The other thing is when Dutch mm -hmm. builds all his traps. Right. I just like oh, he's really, that creature's really given him a lot of time to like <laughs> well, traps and shit. Right. And the other thing I kept thinking was is that like is the predator watching him at this point? I mean, I know he's got some camouflage, but like it, certainly you're noticing like movement or something. Yes, that was that was good. This is maybe one of the reasons why I still think it falls on the side of good bad mm -hmm. because I think. The movie would have been better mm -hmm. had we gotten just a little bit more of the rules for, of the Predator. Yeah, that's fair. You that's know, fair. I, cause partially, I love. It's one of the reasons I love genre is I love mm -hmm. when people set up set up the rules of right. the world that we're. Well, by the way, it also does raise the question: you can't yeah. hunt at night, or like it, there's some thing. There's some norms that the Predator can't like can't. Uh, can't cross. That's what gives him the advantage of having apparently hours and hours and hours <laughs> <laughs> to build all these traps. Well, the other thing, it just occurred to me, but I never thought about this, but it's like, the Predator's ship has got to be around there somewhere, right? Like, he had a plan to get off of the planet. Yeah, go back. We never see the ship. The IT job. Yeah. I don't know. That could be another sequel. Someone finds the ship. I actually am tempted maybe to watch some of the sequels. Like, I was thinking about going on a spree. <laughs> a binge of Predator movies. Although, instead, Dan, I might watch Sandman. Oh, interesting. I think we should save one of the Alien v. Predator movies for, like, Schlock or Raw or something. I think yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, let's definitely do that. Yes. Okay. I think with that, I don't know if I have anything else. And you don't have anything else. No? Which means it's time to end the show. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a patron, you should join. Mm -hmm. Patreon.com slash Face the Nation. We have an occasional newsletter as well. Tinyletter.com slash Face the Nation. Our AMA is going to be, if you're a patron, it will be It'll... the weekend after you get this. If you are not a patron, well, then you can't go anywhere. Nope, you missed it. Sorry. You'll have to join and then like hope for the September AMA. We haven't thanked Karen in a while. Oh, Karen, thank you so much. Karen, do you want to share Karen's very special tribute to you? Karen... Been, so it's been very hot, and I do not have central air, so I actually have a window unit in my study where I am recording, and, and Karen set up a special filter so that you, the listeners, will not have to hear that filter, or that air conditioner. She doesn't have special filters for many people, so she no. has a, a button on her console named Dan's AC. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I really do appreciate it. Karen is great. So yes. we have to thank her every once in a while. That's true. All right. I think that's it. Until next time. Keep this channel open. <laughs> <laughs>
for more.